just met someone and the conversation leads to the inevitable question. So, what do you do? A simple question calls for a simple answer. But what if your answer is never simple? What if your answer defies the societal norms? What does career happiness mean to you? This show dives into convention-breaking career choices, uncovering narratives of working professionals, and creating a space for those who wish to pursue their passions. This is So What Do You Do? Hey guys! Welcome to So What Do You Do? Today we have Leitris Eisman calling into our studio. So Lee, what do you do? Well, I, uh, I wear several hats. <laughs> I'm known primarily as a color consultant because I help various industries in deciding on color that works will work successfully for them, whether it be in product development, in interior environment, exterior environment. Uh, it can involve fashion or cosmetics or consumer products. So it's, it's a pretty wide area that I service and help people with. In addition to that, I'm an author, and I've written 10 books on color, and I do a lot of talks on color uh, internationally. Wow. That's awesome. And just to back it up a little bit, uh, maybe you could tell us a little more about you and your background. Well, I uh, started out in the fashion field because when I started, it was recognized that color was a very important part of fashion and cosmetics. But when I wrote my first book, it was brought to the attention of Larry Herbert, the man who at that point owned Pantone. And uh, he asked me to come on board as the director of the Pantone Color Institute. And because my background, in, as far as my schooling is concerned, is psychology, business, what I decided to do was to take all of those things that I had studied and put them together. Awesome. That's really great to hear. And mm -hmm. one question that we like to ask all of our guests is, what are three adjectives you would use to describe yourself? Oh, <laughs> um, inquisitive. I think you have to be always in a state of finding out more about subjects that interest you. Uh, because, you know, if you reach the point where you feel like, oh, I know it all, <laughs> yeah. you're in big trouble, mm -hmm. uh, even a subject like color. Yeah, that's really great. Um, and then going back a little bit to your career journey, and I know you mentioned in college you uh, majored in psychology, business, yes. and in counseling. Um, mm -hmm. So what guided you towards being a color specialist? Well, you know, when you have this ability to with color, I think that most people that do have a good color sense recognize it when they're little children. And when I was a child, uh, I was fortunate to have a mother and an aunt who really encouraged me in my use of color. Uh, I mean, my mother used to say to me, you can paint your room any bizarre color you choose to paint it. But when you get tired of it, guess what? You're going to go off to the paint store, buy more paint, come home and repaint it yourself, which is, you know, which is great because you teach a kid responsibility, but you also allow them to exercise their own sense of creativity. And my room wound up some pretty wild colors over the years. I think that the advice I always give to people who have small children is to let them exercise their own abilities, and I think that will ultimately lead you, if not to a career path, at least an understanding that you do have some talent and ability in that particular area. 
Yeah. That's cool how color can be so liberating and as a, it's a way to express your creativity and your freedom mm-hmm. to do so. What do people often say when you tell them that you are a color expert or psychologist? Well, it's interesting because when I first started out in the field, people would say, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? But I think more and more people today understand that there is this significant influence that color can have uh, in every part of your life. And uh, so I think there's a, there's a broader understanding, but for those who really never give it much thought, you know, I travel a lot doing lectures and that kind of thing, and if you, I get involved in a conversation with people on a plane, uh, some of them get it right away, and others will say, oh, you, you, you could make a living doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have to explain how important it is. You know, if you're bringing out a new product uh, and it's going to wind up on a supermarket shelf and you're going to be competing with 10 other competitors sitting right next to you on the supermarket shelf, uh, we, all, we know there have been enough studies now that, that verify that the color of the packaging can have an enormous influence on drawing people to wanting to buy, to reach for you, your product on that supermarket shelf. So that's the kind of expertise that I share with people. And when you explain it in that way, then they get it. It's just sort of like we take everything for granted. You know, we go in the supermarket, the drugstore, our hand reaches out for something, uh, and we may not, uh, you know, obviously know that it's, uh, it's peach. You know, the packaging is peach, and it's a nice bath salt that you want to feel comfy and warm in. If that same bath salt were done in a very, very bright red and you put it into your bath water and it would wind up looking like, you know, a a bucket of blood, that would not be a good thing for a product like that. So if you can explain to people, you know, why color is so significant, it's like a big aha moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that you talk a lot about color education and this being maybe a field that not a lot of people are familiar with, but once it's explained, it's very like second nature. But do you believe that there are any misconceptions? that people hold about um, color experts and psychologists? Well, I think that they can. I think that, you know, people can look at it sort of like astrology (laughs) or something that uh, is divined and is kind of woo-woo. But I can tell you that it is not. I mean, there's a lot of research, time, and effort that goes into uh, figuring out what colors work best in, in what particular applications. And uh, as I said, I think that there's more of, of a, an acceptance of that. I, there's always going to be the naysayers, and there are going to be people who don't get it, who don't think of it quite in that way that you need to be very educated. But the, the hardest thing for me when I'm working with a client is to have them uh, separate out the professional self from the personal self Mm -hmm. because everybody has favorite colors. Mm -hmm. And that is often, most often, based on experiences that you had in your childhood where you could have been traumatized by something and your memory wraps a certain color around that. Maybe you got a new bike and you fell off the bike and you broke your ankle and, and you couldn't go to school and you couldn't play with your friends. And the color of that bike that caused your problem, not you, but your bike, mm-hmm. uh, might have been, you know, a bright yellow green. And that sort of remains embedded in your psyche forevermore so that whenever you see something that color, you have an automatic turnoff switch. 
And that's not something that most people are aware of. And so what I tell them is learn to separate your personal feelings about color from what the professional feelings about color should be. Mm, that's really interesting. I never knew that color had such a history to everyone's personal lives. Yeah. And it is so important to know that there is this emotional attachment that people can have with a color. You know, you woke up one day and you were feeling a little down or low or had been partying too much the night before, maybe, <laughs> uh, and you reach for something in your closet, a uh, fuzzy pink or, or, or a peachy sweater, uh, because that can imbue you with a sense of warmth and good feeling and, and kind of a nurturing feeling. And sometimes we do that automatically without even thinking about why we reach for certain things to wear. But uh, if something, you know, makes you feel good, then absolutely on a personal level, you need to look into that. And that's the fascinating part of it. It's sort of like therapy. You know, once you can dig out the reason for it, then you can overcome whatever uh, prejudices you have about it. Um, And to kind of go a little further into that, why do you think there is such a human desire to communicate through color? Well, I think it's something that is really inborn, ingrained, uh, when we're tiny kids and we have the ability to, somebody can put a crayon in our hands and we start to crayon. I mean, everybody has a memory of this. So that need to express oneself in color is, is very much ingrained. Now, what we do with it afterwards, uh, for some people it is a special talent and they become painters and artists or graphic designers or, you know, some other field that's closely related to the artistic aspect of it. And others do it simply because it's a creative exercise. And even if you become an engineer or an attorney, and you know, not anything that involves the usage of color, it is a great way of expressing yourself. And that starts in the earliest years of your childhood. And it's, it's ingrained in our psyches, and it never really goes away. Sometimes, you know, people will sublimate it. They, don't, they work so hard, and they're off on another tangent, and they don't even think about satisfying the creative needs that they have. And I encourage people all the time, whether it be a hobby, or the clothes that you buy, the way you put yourself together, or the lipstick that you, that you choose, the candles and, and tablecloth that you put on the tabletop. I mean, all of this is an exercise in creativity, and all of it involves the use of color. Mm-hmm. I think that's so great. And can you elaborate uh, more on maybe the biological and psychological effects of color and why they evoke such emotions? Well, usually there are attachments that we have to certain colors. There are associations uh, that we have with certain colors. And I'll give you the more obvious examples. Uh, What we have learned over the years and what we have learned to accept and to appreciate uh, comes along often with the color. I think an example to give you is green. Uh, Again, as I'm looking out of my window, I live near the Emerald City of Seattle, and uh, I have counted about 13 shades of green, particularly here in the autumn when so many of the leaves are turning colors. Uh, And we know that green, no matter where I go, again, all over the world, people associate green with the outdoors, with nature. Mm -hmm. And so it, too, 
for the for, for a large part has a positive uh, connotation, and we know that through more current research. We're even being told, as the Japanese have done for many years, they call it shinrin-yoku. Uh, when you're feeling a bit down, when you want to lift your spirits, when you want to feel more at one with nature and the world around you, go out and take a walk in the forest. Mm-hmm. Because uh, all those shades of green not only help to lift you up but they all, and connect you with nature, but they also encourage you to take deeper breaths. And when you take a deeper breath, as you do when you're walking and when you're surrounded by, uh, you know, lots of trees and foliage, you take deep breaths, which helps you to relax. And uh, so physiologically, green has an effect on you as well as psychologically. So those are two examples of why we feel often the way that we do about uh, certain colors. Another issue along with the green is that we need to look at the social, uh, socioeconomic um, aspects of a color as well. It's become part of our vernacular. If you think green, it means you're thinking about the environment, you're thinking about climate change, and we certainly do need to think about those subjects um, from a socioeconomic perspective. And kind of speaking to the international aspect of color, I know that you've traveled a lot, and we just wanted to, we're curious about if there's a particular place you enjoy going to because of the certain colors present in that space. Well, that's an interesting question, but you know, I've been a researcher for most of my life, and I find that every area that I go to has something to offer up. Um, And, of course, it's always fascinating to me to go to someplace I've never been before. But I think what's really most fascinating today is that because younger generations are much more attuned to broadening their perspective and being in touch with other cultures and looking to certain areas for inspiration. The point that I'm making is that their parents and grandparents may have some older cultural taboos around colors, but I think young people are much more open to the possibilities of using color um, in a way that's different than older generations. A best example I can give you is the color white, and we do consider white a color because it does have a psychological presence. Mm-hmm. It means purity and cleanliness and clarity and, you know, all of those things we generally attach to white. I was told you can't use white in, a, um, in Chinese society because it means mourning and grief. If you go to a funeral, you wear white. I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, well, maybe I need to pay attention to that. So I found myself in the central square of Taipei where there must have been 20 couples getting their pictures taken because they were being married that day, and all of the brides had white gowns on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was a big learning lesson. I went back to the people who invited me there, and I said, I was told, never white. And they said, well, you know, it's changing now because... Younger people are seeing what is being done in other parts of the world, and they love the idea, the romantic idea of the bride in white with a white veil. Mm -hmm. That was quite beautiful to them. So what happened was that they got married in two different outfits. They changed. One was red to suit their 
parents and grandparents and to get gifts of money, <laughs> which is very important. And the other was for their friends where they showed, well, you know, I'm very cool. I know what's going on in the rest of the world. I'm wearing a white gown, too. So that that's a good picture of changing philosophies and and yet still holding on to your culture. And you mentioned this earlier about um, how you got your start in the Pantone Color Institute. And mm-hmm. just so that our listeners know, maybe can you explain a little bit about what this um, institute does? Our primary purpose is to do research on color and to um, present that in a way that it makes color more understandable. Uh, in the last few years, we have had many more consultancies, that is, companies that have come to us who have appreciated uh, the value of having a color consultant. And uh, one of the other hats that I wear, in addition to being the director of the Pantone Color Institute, is that I am also, I also have my own business, the Eisman Center for Color Information and Training, mm-hmm. uh, because I believe in, in the ability to educate and that even though people may have this kind of instinct that I mentioned earlier in the interview, I still feel that uh, it is a a talent and ability that you can learn something about that will help you in your future endeavors. You don't have to be born an artist to be, you know, to be a color consultant. Uh, And so I I think in in the classes that I teach, uh, the psychology of color is the most important because I think that's the, the least understood and the area that needs the most work. And so I concentrate on that. I think that, you know, obviously if you're doing um, packaging or a new product, it's wise to reach out to professionals who have this ability, that have the experience. But I think uh, in other cases, I think it's important even for marketing people who aren't necessarily going to be doing the colors but need to know more about color. I have many people in my classes who are in marketing because they recognize the importance of color, and they, they're not striving necessarily to, to be the color decision maker, but what they're striving for is to have more education about color, to enhance their knowledge about color, and to utilize it to its greatest extent. So um, that, I think, is, is the most important part of learning about color. You don't have to have this innate ability, um, but you, you can learn more about it, just like playing the piano. Mm. Oh, that's really cool. Um, and also kind of in line with um, the Color Institute, I know that there is the color of the year. Could mm-hmm. maybe talk a little more about the considerations that are taken into account when coming up with that color and maybe just what that whole process looks like? Well, the color of the year is a, um, a long process. It takes a lot of homework. Uh, it is not, you know, arbitrarily chosen. Uh, we look at a lot of factors. I've already mentioned that we look at the world of art and entertainment uh, we look at um, the symbolism behind the color. That it has become extremely important because people are asking a lot of questions about, well, why living Carl? Why, why did you choose that as the color for this year? Uh, and there were, you know, all those indicators that I mentioned. Certainly fashion is important, what colors are being used a lot in cosmetics. Uh, all, of those, all of those things are influential. But at the same time, the psychological ramification of the color and the social awareness aspect of the color 
led us uh, finally to the choice of living coral. It's the beautiful color that exists in the ocean, uh, but is being eradicated because of uh, misuse of, of the ocean and waterways. And a lot of people are concerned about it. Uh, some people are not that concerned about it. And so we felt that arriving at that color for many reasons, not the least of which are the social implications and the geological implications of getting people to talk about living coral, getting them to have a conversation uh, so that it's not just fluff, but it is something that has a real intrinsic meaning. So that's kind of an overview of how we come to that decision. Yeah, that's really great. I think it's so cool that these colors can have such a huge societal influence or impact. And when I was looking into the color, the description talks about in the reaction of the onslaught of digital technology and social media, the the whole point of Living Coral is to kind of seek authentic, immersive experiences that enable connection and intimacy. So could you talk maybe a little bit more about that statement? Coral is a warm color, so it has a very nurturing quality. We need to focus on that nurturing quality. We live in a world that is um, full of concerns, as we well know. Lots of things that are of concern to us, not, not the least of which, which is our environment. There is a need that could be, you know, it's part of the zeitgeist of how people are feeling and how they're thinking and what color can help to give them some reassurance. And we felt that Living Carl certainly answered that, that purpose, but it's also because uh, the social media allows us to see more usage of the color and you get that conversation going about the color of the year and people start to chime in and contribute what they think is a great example of it. And before you know it, you've got, you know, a whole feeling uh, that is engendered in the population at large that is based on the conversation around the color of the year. That's really interesting. And with the current trend of colors, do you foresee an up-and-coming color trend? So I think it's important not to just look at trends. I think more it's about color combinations how we put colors together and how we can uh, maybe possibly even break some of the old rules and do something that is significantly more creative and interesting and intriguing. I see that as the ongoing conversation for the future, as opposed to this is the hot color, this is the color you should use. I think you have to keep an open mind to what the possibilities are. Um, I wanted to kind of ask if there was a specific moment in your career that you thought was the highlight or um, any high moment in your career journey so far. Oh, that's a good question. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons I love what I do is that it's always a challenge as to what the next project is going to be. I think for me, one of the biggest, biggest aha moments was, and I got a call from a client who did trays in hospitals. And I mean, these are trays that food is served on. And I mean, I had never done anything like that before. He read my book and, and he thought I was the right person to to <laughs> to talk to about this. And I jumped in feet first because I thought, wait a minute, I've been trained in psychology. In hospitals, you have people who usually have a loss of appetite. They're not feeling well. Uh, and the colors that he was using on his trays were so obnoxious as background colors. <laughs> and you would look at it and you would think anybody would know 
that when nausea is a factor, you're not going to use strong yellow greens as a background, and that's what he used in his trays. <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those no-brainers. How could you not see this? So I did a, a, a whole palette around the more appetizing colors, what people, you know, what we've learned from our word association studies, what people associate with, with good appetite. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, his product took off uh, like you can't believe. He was selling them off the shelves to the people who were buying them in hospitals and, and you know, rehabilitation centers and that kind of thing. Because they found that, yes, it, it made a pretty picture on the table. It made people, it stimulated people's appetites. It, it helped to, you know, enlarge their thinking about what they were going to eat. And even though they may not still eat a lot, at least it was it made it more appealing on the, on the tray. And so that, to me, was a big aha moment. And that is what I love most about what I do. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And it, I think it's so incredible that, you started your own institute, Eisman Center for Color Information and Training, and mm-hmm. we read a lot about this, and we wanted to talk a little bit more about the color training program, maybe mm-hmm. for our listeners who may be interested in design or color specialization. Mm-hmm. Well, I do the class once a year. Uh, next year I'm going to be doing it. I believe we're going to do it in April or May. Uh, we have a local museum here on Bainbridge Island where I live and work, uh, just a stone's throw or a ferry ride away from Seattle. And uh, it is primarily for those people who have a passion for color. I mean, you you know, if you're going to take a class about color, you, you really need to have some excitement about the subject. Yeah. And um, it, it encompasses a lot of different industries. I mean, I've had graphic designers. I've had people who are image consultants, interior designers. Uh, it, it just is always interesting to me as to who is attracted to the class. Um, the primary goal is to teach the psychology of color, but in addition to that, um, we are also teaching uh, color trends and how you uh, go about evolving color trends, how you find them. We look at consumer color preferences. We do some workshops on color, which I don't talk about because there's a surprise element that's involved in that, which is really kind of fun. And we talk about the pragmatic aspect of color consulting. Um, It is a business, after all, and if it's a field that you're interested in, in learning more about or going into, it's important to know how you arrive at charging for your services and and how you bill for your services. So there's that pragmatic day-to-day business aspect. Uh, We cram a lot of information into four days. And what happens is that, uh, that people just become lifelong friends after they take the class because when you're with other like-minded people who have a love for color the way you do, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of lifelong friendships. And I have people from all over the world who take the class. I have a big contingency that comes from South Korea. Uh, they go to a school that specializes in color in Seoul, but they want to learn more because their teacher came here to learn from me, and she went back and told them about the class I teach, and they want to come to the United States. So I've had people from China and South Africa, and it's amazing. Australia, I never know who's going to pop up and from where. Of course, most are from the U.S. and from Canada, and uh, quite a few now from Latin America. Wow, that's so awesome. Just like mm-hmm. this coming together of like um, so many people from so many backgrounds and cultures, but all mm-hmm. unified in this kind of 
topic of color. Uh, for people who do have an interest in color, I know sometimes it can be hard because not every country or college will have any specializations or even classes on color and the psychology of it. Um, how would you suggest that they kind of find their way in this industry or start to move towards a career in color specialization? Well, I think um, it is a question of taking enough classes, not only in design, but also in psychology and in marketing. I think you've got to dip into those three layers, so to speak. And I find that particularly for young people just out of school, if, you know, starting at, at ground zero, so to speak, <laughs> there are many companies that hire color consultants. Uh, when I say color consultants, they will have a team that works in-house. The bigger companies usually do, but I think it's, you know, in graphic design, that's another area that is a great, you know, entry-level position. It's graphic design, and, and that's often a, a career choice for people who love color. Uh, but, you know, there every other area, fashion is an obvious one, cosmetics is an obvious one. They often have, you know, in-house people who, you know, a group that you can either intern for or uh, go in on an entry-level position. But I think it's a question of, you know, even as long as I've been in the business, I never stop learning about color. It's been such a great time, like, listening to how much, how passionate you are uh, about color and how much work goes into the process of being a color specialist. And what would you define as career happiness? I guess I've reached that stage of nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> I just get happy from anything that involves color. You know, I work with some of the biggest companies. I work with startups. But for me, even setting a table, if I'm having friends over for dinner, is a, is a creative exercise. Um, you know, choosing pillows to put on the sofa, just the most mundane, everyday things that you can do need to bring you some sense of joy and, and creative um, ability. I'm very much into shopping in a thrift shop and finding treasures, uh, not only clothing, but also other items, and seeing how they can be utilized because it's, it's kind of preserving what has been out there that might have some beautiful colors, but do I want to update it? Do I want to use it a different way? Do I want to change the picture frame? Do I want to put a mat on it that's going to get a, give a different feeling? These are all exercises in color. And they can bring you just those moments of achievement. When you look at it, you say, oh, I love the way that looks. It's just almost a childlike reaction that brings you joy. It doesn't have to be any big, you know, redecorating, repainting your house kind of thing. <laughs> it can be just the everyday exercises in color that can make you joyful. And for me, uh, that has always worked. I think that's so great. I think so often we just walk through life and we're so unaware of, like, the amazing little moments of joy that are kind of like imbued in like the things around us and I think having that perspective on life where you're looking around and particularly at color and uh, being able to find those little pockets of, of joy and those little moments through the everyday is just fantastic. And that. you know you are so right and, and that brings us to another aspect of color and that is even though I've talked about social media and how how you can learn so much from what you see other people doing my big concern is that I see people out on the street attached to their cell phones where they're not even looking at the world around them. They're looking at their cell phone. And I think this is something to address. I think anybody that 
is interested in color needs to take those walks in the woods, needs to get out, put the cell phone away, and just concentrate on the world around you. Look up at the sky. Look at the color of the birds. Uh, What do you see in your immediate environment that is about color? I think... I hate to think that we're going to lose that ability with more and more digital equipment to use. It, it's a great help, but on the other hand, we can't lose sight of the world around us and what we can learn just by observing our surroundings. And kind of to uh, jump off of this whole conversation um, and bring it a little bit back to the career journey and things like that, do you have maybe some advice for someone who is unhappy with their current job or at a crossroads on what they want to do? What advice might you give them? Well, I always tell people, don't quit your day job, (laughs) you know, because that applies a pressure uh, that that can take the joy out of looking into uh, career opportunities. Uh, If you can pay your bills, then then you can keep, you know, an open mind. But there are some people who have unfortunately landed at that spot. I think if you can take those day-to-day pressures off yourself and then address any other time you can to going online, to reading about it, to talking to people, to, you know, finding somebody who will mentor you. Um, I I think that all of that goes into uh, what makes for a successful career trajectory. Well, thank you so much, Lee, for sitting down with us and sharing your story. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. Welcome to The Debrief, where we discuss our own perspectives on the interview and apply some of our own experiences and background to the conversation. So what did you think of Lee's interview? I really loved it. Honestly, it's such a bummer that we didn't get to meet in person, mm-hmm. but I I just really love all she had to say about color and the impact it has on us, both um, psychologically and emotionally and, and even historically and culturally. You know, I think it's something that we often don't really notices there because it's there all the time and we're always surrounded by rich color um and one of the things i loved about what lee said is that sometimes you know she has this practice of really just walking around and noticing things around her and finding joy and almost like a childlike joy Mm -hmm. in those things um and let me just say i've just never met anyone who's so passionate about color which is amazing like i love it when our guests are so passionate about what they're doing it really inspires me yeah i agree with you that is super cool And as you were saying, one thing that Lee mentioned was that we take everything for granted, like even the simplest of things like color. It's so significant to the products we choose and the things we experience. Certain colors like evoke certain emotions and it evokes certain experiences that we had in the past. And it was so interesting to see how color sort of correlates with psychology and how certain colors can transfer into certain traumas as well i thought that was an interesting point like we don't really internalize it but we subconsciously don't prefer certain colors because something traumatic associated with it could have happened in the past i think the historical changes of certain colors is really interesting and so different across all cultures and it transcends borders and i thought that was really really interesting because i think it's so important to be able to recognize and learn all of these differences just to be educated and be more culturally aware Uh, if we ever travel to those places or talk to someone about their own cultures. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think um, what you mentioned about the trauma of colors and things like that, that was also something that was really new to me. Um, And yeah, I hadn't really thought about it much. But then I started reflecting in my own life and really realizing that these attachments we have to color um, 
are so innate mm-hmm. in us. Um, and also the fact that um, what you're talking about, about how it, it does affect us, even if we don't realize it. Um, there was actually this TED Talk I, I watched. It's one of my favorite TED Talks, actually. And it has to do with this lady who is an architect. And she really wanted to find what brings joy. And so she went around doing research and she found, you know, a lot of the obvious things like people across the board find bubbles to be very (laughs) joy giving. They find confetti to be very joy giving. Uh And a lot of the things she noticed about them were just um, the the vibrancy and color. And Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because um, when talking with Lee, that was also such a conversation that was present. Um, The fact that you know, joy is all around you. And also um, that there's a psychological need for people to be kind of surrounded by certain colors at different points in their lives. Yeah, I I agree with the whole color being innate. And I think it's both nature and nurture because I loved when Lee was talking about how the type of messaging that we get as children from our surroundings can truly impact us. Like what I mean by this is the way you are treated and like nurtured by your parents or your guardians or just your caretakers your community really has an impact on how you view certain things like for her she mentioned that her mom and her aunt let her choose any type of color that she wants for her room to be able to decorate it herself and it's so interesting how this little (laughs) thing that her guardians told her to do um truly was like ingrained in her mind because ever since then she loved colors she loved Um, creating different templates and shades and being able to mix all these colors together and find really cool patterns for like interior design or um, how to market a product it's just cool how like you take these little things for yourself and like get these little messages that people sometimes don't even realize they're saying to you but you truly internalize them and then they can blossom into such amazing things and now she's the ceo of Uh, Pantone and also she has her own color institute uh, which educates other people who are interested in color and design and I think that's really awesome how one small thing can lead to such a beautiful path for your passions. Yeah no I definitely agree. So in one of my classes last semester, actually very similar to when we were talking to Lee, uh, we talked about the huge impact that color had on presidential elections and campaigns. And it was really insightful to see that in the past history, there's a huge impact that color has. Like most of the when you break it down, presidential campaigns that have had winning successful campaigns, right? Mm -hmm. Like they become president. They really, really use the red and blue white color scheme. Mm -hmm. And there have only been maybe two instances where there was like another color use, like green. And this upcoming election, there's actually bold uses of color that we haven't seen in years. Like um, I know that there's one presidential campaign that uses pink and black Another one that uses um, kind of more beige tan colors. I think it's interesting to know how much that will change perception of how you view people. Mm-hmm. So I think um, going back to how Lee was talking about, like in every job she takes, there's like a different nuance. I also really like the story where she talked about one of her first jobs um, being uh, making food trays at the hospital. Um, and those trays would be, you know, like this really... I, f- I think before she went in, it was a pretty bad color. It was just uh, not appealing to look at or see when you're eating, um, especially uh, for someone who maybe is um, already a little bit not feeling well, mm-hmm. right? They're in a hospital. And I think that was 
really inspiring because it shows me how a little thing like changing the color of a tray can infinitely make someone's life better mm -hmm. or a lot of people's lives better and to us we think it's such a small little thing but in actuality i mean there's a lot of people who might have had a better day because of it and at the end of the day i think what we hope we can have in our jobs is a job that lets people feel better or have joy and share a joy together yeah and um, we just want to thank Lee for sharing her story with us and taking time out of her busy schedule yeah. literally to give us a call. Um, we appreciate it so much. And it was so interesting, um, especially as someone in media. I think we're going to be thrown into a lot of things related to visual design and graphics. So I think it's really insightful, not only in the technical sense, but also in the emotional and psychological sense of how color impacts our world. For sure, for sure. If you want to find out more about Lee and her work, check out her website, leatriceisman.com. If you want to find out more about this podcast, check us out on, on Instagram at podcast. If you want to listen to more episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. If you want to get to know us more, check us out on Instagram at arnaariana and at itsjustjoanna. Thank you so much for tuning in to So What Do You Do? I'm Joanna Yamakami. And I'm Ariel Ariana. Join us again next time for another episode.